Welcome to this forum on prayer. And uh, what I would like to do is I have a song that I would like to play for you that I hope uh, blesses you. And uh, this song is about intercessory prayer, even though that's not necessarily going to be the focus of today's forum. Um, But I continually go back to this song in my life because it just continues to speak to me And uh, I hope that it will speak to you too. Let's see if we can get this right. Would you bow with me, please, in order of prayer? 
Father, we've prayed before we've come to this place that the spirit of prayer would be over this camp. We're so grateful, Lord, that you're faithful to your word. And we know that you hear and you've already responded to our calling. And I want to pray, Father, that those that would be here this morning would be edified by this topic. They would find a new calling in their own lives to prayer as we journey together down this road. And pray, Father, that you just show us how faithful you are and true as we stand before you now in this hour. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I can't talk enough about this topic, uh, but I want to tell you that um, my experience with prayer um, was really a journey. And uh, I feel actually at this stage of my life, only in the past three or four years, I'm really learning things about prayer that I never knew before. God uses circumstances in life to bring us to places that he wants us to be. And, you know, there were many times that uh, others of us who were really into the topic of prayer tried to encourage me to get into it in a really serious way in other years. And, you know, the truth is, is that these things in life are born out of due time. And even though they, they, they really, you know, encouraged me, I mean, Brother Fred, you know, has been talking with me about this topic for at least 10 years, probably 15 years. And, you know, for whatever reason, it, it, it's not that it fell on deaf ears, but it just wasn't the right time in my life for the Lord to open a different kind of understanding. So for me, prayer has been a journey. And I think for you too, prayer is going to be a journey in your life. And God opens up windows of time where we can learn things and uh, we can see things in a different way as he molds us and forms us into the kind of children that he wants us to be. And uh, I for sure am not there and I, I have to you know, admit to you that in some ways for you know, all of the time that I've spent on this topic in the past three or four years, I still really feel myself to be a novice. I'm sure that there are others among us who are really entered into this ministry. And I, I really believe that prayer is, uh, it is an unspoken and an unlauded ministry in the flock that some are really called to, just like some have a calling to other things in life, that there are some that have a calling to this ministry alone. And I... Uh, would hope and pray that we, we would all participate somewhat in the ministry of prayer, um, but we'd be encouraged and challenged to consider it in a deeper way. And uh, as I've learned things about this topic, um, one of the ways that I've been taught um, is that I, I tend to learn things pretty, pretty well when I read um, biographical things about people that really spark my interest. And uh, this is a person who has really sparked my interest. And uh, I just want to tell you a little bit about Daniel Nash. He is uh, of some prominence uh, because he, you can read on the, on the tombstone here that he labored with Charles Finney Charles Finney was a, um, a very prominent American revivalist. Um, some of you from Ohio undoubtedly know him because he founded Oberlin University in Ohio. We have a strong link to him in our area in central New York because uh, Finney, in, in, in the periods of 1816 to 1822, sparked quite a significant revival in our area that actually had deep roots that lasted into the Civil War that is one of the reasons why 
um, where I happen to live in Syracuse, from Albany to Buffalo, and even on into Cleveland, were very, very strong abolitionists. And uh, that's largely in part because of the spiritual revivals of the 1820s. Uh, so you can see here that Nash labored with Finney in those years. You, you might not be able to see on the bottom part of the gravestone, it says, Mighty in Prayer. Mighty in Prayer. Uh, Daniel Nash was not a preacher. Daniel Nash uh, committed himself to the ministry of prayer. And uh, there was one other individual that traveled with Charles Finney by the name of Abel Crary. And the three of them actually uh, sparked this revival. Interestingly enough, though, Crary and Nash were the men of prayer. Finney was the man who preached. Uh, this gravestone uh, that you see here comes from uh, northern New York, about an hour north of Syracuse. It's uh, about a stone's throw away from uh, the sister church that is in Krogan, New York. I was very compelled, though, to learn things uh, about Daniel Nash because it turns out that Daniel Nash is from Onondaga County, New York. That's where I live. That's where I live. He uh, he was a pastor um, for a short time in a church and gave up pastorate to commit himself to the ministry of prayer. For him, it was a life's calling. And he was a quiet man. You might notice the quote over here that Finney mentioned of him. Like anybody who does a lot of praying, Father Nash, as he was called, because he was an aged man at 50, Father Nash is a very quiet person. Show me a person who is always talking, and I'll show you a Christian he never does much praying. Uh, the, the one point that I would like to make about this concept of being quiet and praying is that we have real challenges in this day and age to get in the right mindset, I believe, to be able to pray. I struggle with it. Do you struggle with it? I, I have a kind of job and a kind of life where I'm being stimulated by information virtually 24-7. Okay, and one of the things that I am really challenged with is that when I find time to pray, it actually takes me time to really wind down so that I can get to the point that I can really pray. And I think all of us struggle with the same thing, you know, as a simple little example. How many of you, as an example, when we pray for our meals in the cafeteria, we, we want to spend time to pray, but how many of us really, really engage in that prayer? I mean, that we're really before the throne when we thank the Lord for our food. And it's not that that's wrong. It has to do with the fact that there are times and seasons and places in life where our heart and our spirit can really engage in the ministry of prayer and other times where we struggle with that. So one of the things one has to learn if you're interested in prayer is you have to learn in life how to get quiet. And that, by the way, is one of the real struggles for younger people. You know, when I mentioned this morning that you have to learn how to pray, what you really have to do in life is to learn how to get quiet. And that is really a problem because when there is a void of nothing going on in life, you don't know how to fill that void. So you fill it with activity. You fill it with things. You fill it with music. You fill it with sounds. You fill it with a bunch of other things. But in a life of prayer, one needs to fill that space with God. And you have to learn how to do that. That doesn't come natural. You have to learn how to do it. So uh, Daniel Nash has been an inspiration for me. And uh, I've learned some things about this uh, very unusual man that I'm going to share a little bit in part of the forum today. 
But a few things that I um, would like to uh, just throw out for you to consider about prayer. The only way to see where there is real faith is to see where there is prayer. I mean, the Bible teaches us that, you know, without faith we, we can't please God and so on, but what really is the evidence of faith in our life? Like on a daily basis, what is really the evidence of faith? And I would like to ask you to consider that when we pray to God, that is the only real symbol that shows us on a moment-to-moment basis that our faith is real. Why? Because if someone really believes in God, they instinctively begin to call on the name of the Lord. Instinctively. And you know what? I, I have to say that I'm still learning about that. Maybe you are too. You know, I remember making an experience with a brother. This is like just a little uh, 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 anecdote here. We, we were driving down the road on, on a, a business trip, and it was really early in the morning, and it was foggy, and I was telling him a way to get to the highway that he normally didn't go that way. So it's 6 o'clock in the morning on a November morning, foggy, and we're driving down this road, and I'm telling him where to go. And we got to the end of this road where there was a really sharp curve, and uh, I knew that we were getting there, but of course he couldn't see the curve because of the, the, uh, the fog. And I said, y- y- you better slow down. Um, but he didn't know how serious I meant that, you better slow down. You know, and as we're getting closer, I'm starting to get, you know, more animated. He said, slow down. And so he, he basically hit the brake. And when we got to that turn and he cranked the wheel over to make that turn, I, I think the car almost went up on two wheels when he was cranking around to do it. And, you know, we stayed on the road and I took a deep breath. And I was just sort of recuperating from this event. He instinctively called on the name of the Lord. And, um, you know, that was so, a little bit, of a, a, little bit of, a, of a symbol to me. That, you know, that was not the first time that he instinctively called on the name of the Lord. He was used to doing that. And for me, it would take me a little while before the events of life would pan out, before I would go right to the Lord. But I'm learning. And God has brought about situations in life for many people that it becomes much more natural for us to instinctively go to the Lord. You know, when we call, God has promised that he will answer. He promises that he will answer. And so the basic elements of faith and relationship that we have are all about us calling and believing that he's going to answer. And if that basic building block, that chain link, is not working in our life, there's, there's little else that we need to talk about having faith. If we, if we really struggle to believe that when we call, he's going to answer. Because he's told us that the basic elements of prayer along with faith in God are so fundamental to us all as Christians. And he means prayer to be this way, that he shows us how great he is and how faithful he is to his people when he answers our calling. He shows that he's faithful by answering our calling. I'd just like to throw out a question to you right now for you to think about that when we collectively get together like on a Sunday morning or some opportunity when there might be those there that believe and those that don't believe, perhaps we really need to consider that the time that we spend in prayer with people who don't believe is a way that God wants to bring them to a faith. When, when people of unbelief see and hear God's children pray about no win, dead end, frustrating, despairing situations. And if we're actually willing to be that honest, to lay these things bare before them, when God answers those prayers, unbelievers are brought to faith. 
Now, sometimes when we as Christians come together, we want to be sterile about our prayers. You know, we want to be hermetically sealed for our protection, right? But prayer is something that is actually very different, that God wants us to be totally open with him in prayer. And have we ever really considered in our group that prayer is actually a tool of evangelism by bringing people to faith, by allowing them to see how God works? If we're willing to risk, are we going to take a risk in exposing ourselves that way so that there might yet be some good to come for the kingdom? One of the earliest biblical citations about prayer, this is a verse that I like to bring to people's attention because nobody catches this verse. This is from Genesis chapter 4, and it speaks about Seth. You can see the verse says, And to Seth, to him also there was born a son, and his name was Enos, so the family of Seth. And then began men to call on the name of the Lord. You know, the other uncles with Cain and so on did not come to this realization that God, they had the sense that God was not only a creator God, but he was a God that would intervene in our lives if they called on him. And this is, this is a realization that this family clan came to from the stem of Seth, that they realized that there was something different about the character of God than others around them, if they would call on him. And it turns out that this phrase of calling on the Lord, calling on him, actually became what these people were first believers in the earliest of days were, were addressed as those who called on the Lord. They are those from that tribe, from that clan, who called on the Lord. And that is perhaps a fundamental attribute that made them very different from everyone else that was around them. I, I really like this phrase in the scripture that we read of calling on the Lord. And quite often in my own personal language, I, I, don't, I don't talk about prayer very much. I prefer to talk about calling on the Lord because somehow it, it really describes uh, the hard place of, of where we frequently are when we come to him I mean, all that we can do is call on him. And I guess maybe I needed to get to that point in my life where, uh, you know, the Lord orchestrated responsibilities and problems and struggles in sufficient number and sufficient mass where I was so frequently driven to my knees. More than once with getting news that my knees buckled. And I knew there was no place else to go but to the Lord and simply call on him. Father, I call on you. But I found there a God who would always meet me in my need. And a God that was true. And a God that cared. Moses recognized this in Deuteronomy 4. He said, told the children of Israel, For what nation is there so great, who hath a God so nigh unto them, as the Lord our God, as in all things that we can call on him? Now, he was trying to point out to them that the thing that separates you from everybody else is that you have the right to call on God. And that that's the thing that makes us as children so different. I'm wondering, for you and me, as we go about our lives, do we, do we realize that that gift, that attribute that we've been given of the right as the sons of God to call on him is the central thing that separates God's children from others of his creatures? And I think he, he means our lives to be saturated with prayer. and He means our church life to be saturated with prayer. And I, I think that we pray a lot, but I think that we can pray a lot more. And I think learning things about effectual prayer and fervent prayer are things that lie more on the road ahead of us than on the road behind us.
In Jeremiah, there's some beautiful verses that speak about calling on the Lord. In 33.3 says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Can I translate this in a little bit more common way? It says, If you call on me, I'm going to show you things that you can't imagine. You can't imagine. If you call on me. Because the Lord means that time in prayer for us to be as one of revelation in life, inspiration and complete revelation to give us a bearing of where we go. And in our attitudes of calling on him, he tells us in Jeremiah 29, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That phrase means to give you an expected end, means to give you the things that you hope for. He knows the things that we're hoping for, and his attitude toward us is one of, of total peace and identifying with us to give us the things that we hope for. But then he says, then you will call on me with your hopes, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Have you had hopes that you've never brought to the Lord? I have. Some have hopes that I harbored in my heart and in my soul, but were not hopes for whatever silly reason that I wouldn't bring those hopes and those expectations before the Lord. But he wants to share in our dreams and our hopes and in our vision. And he says, you call on me with those things. And I'm going to hear, and I'm going to answer you. I'd like to speak a little bit about different aspects of prayer. And of course, you'd like to begin with private prayer, because I think that this is such a central part uh, of our learning that maybe is evasive for many of us, that we feel that our, our prayer life is something that is really motivational when nobody else is looking. And I emphasize that point because this is the honor system. No one knows whether or not you pray, but you and God. No one knows. And hopefully when we pray, we don't pray because we want to tell others that we pray. We, we go to him and we pray for other reasons. You know, for those who would be used so in this ministry, the majority of prayer must really be private prayer. Because to be able to meet him in private and learn how to do that, really we, we have to learn first before we can effectively learn to meet him well with others. In this place of private prayer, we do not seek either the eye nor the ear of men. But in this place, we alone seek the ear of God. And nobody's looking. Nobody's hearing. Nobody's paying attention to how pretty it is. Nobody's paying attention to how deep or how spiritual it is. None of those things matter. It's whether or not we've captured the Lord's ear that is going to bring any real fruit in our lives. And of course, we seek a place alone with God. Seek a place alone. This when I mentioned some of the things that I struggle with, with being overstimulated in life, to find a place to pray is actually somewhat difficult. And one of the things that I've learned that helps me, and, and even in this little example um, uh, this morning here, I quite often actually will listen to appropriate kinds of music that will help lead me into a spirit of prayer. And I can get there sometimes without it, but it'll take longer for my spirit to calm down. Because, you know, part of being made in the image of God is that he's made us creative. We can identify with things like music that the animals can't. And God has given us these things that are like about his personality, that he can reach us in these ways that really deeply affect our soul and our heart rate and our mind's eye in our stress level to get us to the spot where we can meet him alone. You have to learn how to do that. And I'm not great at this. All that I'm saying is I've learned baby steps in my life 
how to begin getting there. And it is really a deep desire that I have to get there more. Um, And God is really patient with me in my life. And this is my personal journey. It's not your journey. You have your own journey. This is my journey with the Lord to teach me of these things in a way that will bring some lasting value. Prayer with others. Here's another little obscure verse that actually doesn't speak about prayer. It talks about the value of more than one. This verse in Deuteronomy says, how should one chase a thousand, but two put 10,000 to flight? Prayer is like that. It's not linear. Okay, when God's children get together, even just a few, the potential of what can happen for that kind of focused prayer is something that doesn't scale with the number of people that are there. God means that to be really, really special when his children get together and focus, focus prayer on a given space. As I mentioned before, the collective public prayer is one way that the Spirit gives testimony of himself because when unbelievers see prayer answered, Jesus is giving witness of himself in answering the prayers. And if, if, we are, if we're not willing to actually expose ourselves to the real needs that we have and the real disastrous course that we might meet without God, and even at the risk of prayer being unanswered. You know, just a little experience that we, we've, we've made. You know, you're, you try to teach your kids to do the right things. Sometimes, you know, even when you teach them biblical principles, you're at risk. So a few years ago, we were expecting a big crowd over on a Sunday evening, and our water heater that was, that was finicky for about two weeks before this basically went out. And I could always get this water heater started again by going down and, and messing with it. And we, you know, I was just trying to imagine what Miriam was going to do without hot water that night when we were expecting, you know, 30 people from church over it. And so, you know, what to do? You know, and then the Spirit kind of t- came to me and said, you know what, guy, you better live by a book. The book tells you what to do. And this is not just praying in private. You're going to gather your kids together on your living room and you're all going to get down together on your knees and pray for that water heater. So what if God doesn't answer? What are the kids going to think if God doesn't answer? Is that going to lead them to unbelief for praying over something like that? You know, and the Spirit came to me and said, that's my business, not your business. You just live by the book. Just a simple step of obedience. So, you know, gathered the kids together and said, you know, this is the problem and and we're going to pray for this. You know, we're going to pray for this. And of course, the kids are obedient. They just do whatever you tell them to do, right? <laughs> if we're going to say, we're going to kneel down, we're going to pray about this. So they did this. And we agreed that I'm, I'm going to try once more to go down and get it going. And I, I had spent like 40 minutes on this already. Okay, and I went down once more and went through my routine. And The hot water heater lasted until Monday morning and then it went south for good. And he had to call the plumber at that point to get the water heater in. But the thing that I learned, you know, about this is, is that um, even in teaching my children about this principle, I have to take risks for God to give testimony of himself to them. And when I'm going through struggles in my life, am I willing to share that with my children? You know, can they know how fragile I am? Can they know about my weaknesses? Can they know about where I failed? Can they even know about my sin? As I tried to teach them that all of us are asked to call on the Lord in whatever situation we find ourselves in, just as I am. Prayer in God's house. I'd really like to uh, encourage people to think about this a little bit more. You know, I have a little saying here that um, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but some people might, might take it that way. That You know, 
our churches are not primarily a place of preaching, even though with the Lord's blessing, good sermons are preached there. And our churches are not a place of choirs, even though with the Lord's blessing, some edifying good music can be sung there. God says, my house shall be primarily a house of prayer. And I guess this goes out to all who are in leadership position of asking ourselves, you know, what are we communicating to our flock about this basic principle that God's house is primarily a house of prayer, even though many other good things can go on in that place. But is the value set right when the believers come together that that place is primarily a place of prayer? First and foremost. So I guess we're challenged in that way to live out the truth of the word. Our our membership should really clearly know the importance and the place of prayer. Collective prayer are not just something that we do to start the service and to end the service. So it's not like a stopwatch. It's not like you click on the stopwatch and then you click off the stopwatch and spiritual people do the click on and click off with a prayer. That's not it. Right? The role of prayer that we have collectively really plays a very, very different role. And, you know, maybe just a, a little bit of a different anecdote that I'd like to tell you that um, there, there are times in Syracuse that we, we will, we've asked people before if they have any prayer concerns they would like to share on a Sunday morning. Or more so, Sunday afternoon we do it. But um, this one, so people have got to realize that if they have a prayer concern, they are allowed to raise that prayer concern when we take our announcements on Sunday morning. Okay, that's okay. You can do that. Okay, and this one Sunday morning, we happen to have had some guests with us uh, from the sister church, some very uh, dear friends. And on that particular Sunday morning, a, uh, a man got up, uh, who's not a believer, or he, he, he sent a prayer request and asked us, oddly enough, if we would pray for his dog because his dog was dying. I think Dave was at the pulpit that morning, if I'm not mistaken, taken in. I, I was wondering, what are we going to do with this? But Dave did a great job of, of, of just, you know, just in... in, in, in so thank you for that for that request and you know and when we got home with our friends from the sister church the brother asked me did I hear right this morning did that person ask for prayer for his dog I said yeah that's what the person asked but you know what this brother was a smart guy he's a smart guy and you know what he said he wasn't asking for prayer for that dog he was asking for prayer for himself but he couldn't bring himself to ask everybody to pray for him so we asked you to pray for his dog. Calls for help come out in surprising ways. Okay, and uh, with this particular person, I found that God speaks to this person through animals much better than through humans. God creates some people that way. That's just the way he is. Um, But I think we need to be open even to some surprises sometimes if we're going to say, you're allowed to ask for prayer. It's okay. Focus prayer. Um, One of the things that I've learned um, in my life, and um, I I can say this because I'm a brother, this might be a little bit tougher for sisters, but I have learned that if I really really need to pray, I I need to go to a place where I can pray out loud. And this is just a personal thing that I find. If I pray silently in my heart, I am so prone to wander. My mind wanders onto all different areas, and it's difficult for me to stay focused. And when I do a simple thing, like just praying audibly, that actually helps me, you know, helps keep my mind focused on what I 
want to do. Like, and, and I understand that because, you know, I'm a brother and men are generally called on to pray audibly, this is something that's more difficult and maybe uncomfortable for some sisters to do. And I, I simply share in my experience that um, if you can pray in your head, so to speak, and stay focused, God bless you. You, you pray then the way that works for you. Um, but I find sometimes I struggle with that. And, and, and that's one way that I can deal with it, to pray audibly. Um, I'm, I have not been a great person about lists in the past. Um, I know some people are. Some people share with me that they have lists. I know of one person who has even told me that they have a prayer journal. That's the way that they track God answering their prayers. That's a really disciplined person. I'm not that far yet to be able to have something like a prayer journal. Um, I did find, uh, actually, in the uh, previous software that I used to use, Bible software, that it had a prayer list that was part of the software. And I, I, I did more actively use that to good effect. One thing that I have learned, have learned about Daniel Nash is that when somebody got on his prayer list, they did not come off until he prevailed. Um, that's a word that we don't use very much in our English language, to prevail. You know, when we, we usually use it when we talk about a battle. You know, in days of old, when somebody said that they prevailed on the battlefield, that means that they, they got all the way to the end with it. And that is exactly what prayer is. You know, it really often is a battlefield. But, you know, Nash had this very strong belief that he was going to pray until the victory was won. And as I understand it, that there were some converts that he began praying for before anybody else believed that the Spirit would touch that soul. And once that person got on his list, they did not come off until they ultimately fell before the throne. Our prayers need to be focused to the point that there needs to be a desired effect. And this effect needs to be definite and it needs to be clear. Scattered praying in general directions is of little value. So we're only going to know that God is faithful if we ask him for something that's specific enough that we're going to know whether or not he answered. And have you ever heard a prayer like that, although it might have been very well-meaning that uh, you know, you wanted to ask the brother, brother, you're never going to know whether or not God answered that prayer because you didn't ask him anything. You prayed things, but you didn't ask him anything specific. Or how about, you know, the kind of thing that sometimes we run into and say, well, we're going to pray for camp. We're going to pray for camp. Well, wh- what exactly are we going to pray for camp? In what ways would we like to see God move in our midst this week? And I think our praying needs to be very focused and very clear in those areas that we're going to know exactly when God answers. And when we see him answer, our faith is uplifted and we see how faithful he's been and we can see in a very clear way. So sometimes, you know what? Is it possible that God moves in our lives? He does miracles in our lives, but we don't recognize the miracle that he did because we didn't pray specifically for the miracle. He just did it and we didn't even ask for it. And we didn't recognize it. We didn't give him credit for it. What does the Bible teach us? And this you know. Okay? The Bible says what? That God sometimes doesn't answer why. You know what it says in James? Because we don't ask because we don't ask. He says, just come and ask. Just come and ask. I wonder how many times like that turn that I told you about that I have actually been protected by the angels that are watching over me, like was in the song, and I never even recognized how a loving, merciful God worked in my life and protected me from something that I didn't even know I was in harm's way. 
But if we ask for his protection, then he'll show us how it is that he intervened. You receive not because you ask not. Fervency in prayer. This verse that tells us to confess our faults one to another and pray for one another that we might be healed, I'm sure everybody wants to focus on the healing part. But what I see in this verse when it talks about confessing our faults one to another really speaks more about the honesty that we need to have in prayer of who we are. You know what? We don't go to God with any kind of pretense. You know, I I really want to encourage brothers when they pray in church, don't pray like you're preaching. Certain brothers have the responsibility to preach. Don't bring the pretense of preaching into your prayers. Prayers are something that are, 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 are much more personal. And a prayer is not meant for everybody else when you pray. A prayer is actually meant for God. You know, so in our fervency in our prayer, they, they have to be honest prayers and without hypocrisy. Honesty in prayer. If, if believers get together for a prayer meeting, what do you think about this? If believers get together for a prayer meeting, but at that prayer meeting, the only thing that they pray about is intercessory prayer for other people. They only pray for other people. Well, I say, well, brother, don't, don't you have any needs? Sister, don't, don't, you, don't we all have needs before God? Are we ashamed or embarrassed to be honest about what those needs are? You know, again, we'd like to be hermetically sealed for our protection, that I'm, I'm perfectly willing to pray for somebody else, but I, I'm unwilling to expose what, what I'm struggling with in my life. But, you know, I think that prayer really brings us all onto a, a similar level. There are no heroes in the kingdom. There are no heroes. They're just children. And, you know, when we're actually willing to admit the needs that we have and the things that we struggle with, this actually, you know, uh, brings us all somehow on, on the same level, that we're, we're human, you know. Our, our, our leaders are human, Elder brothers are human. You think elders don't struggle with unbelief? You think uh, elders don't struggle with certain kinds of carnality that maybe might be different from the carnality that you think of other people, but we struggle actually sometimes with, with uh, uh, really, really willing to give a situation over to God without trying to force something to happen one, one, one way or the other and, 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 and be open. And just, you know, there are all kinds of ways that we actually can, can uh, not live under the subordination of the Father by letting him work things out without needing me to force an outcome. We're, we're, we're human. These are tendencies that we all have. We're not going to give the reins over to God. We're going to grab the reins for ourselves. And one of the things that prayer brings about is it, we're saying, God, take the reins. Take the wheel. Strong praying must be effectual praying. There must be a desired effect. Oh, did I copy that twice? I did already. Sorry. I moved that to a different slide. I hope you at least would have noticed I just said the same thing that I said a little bit ago. Sorry about that. Didn't realize I moved that and had that in there twice. Prayers of faith. You know, we read these verses that says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord shall raise him up. I want to ask you something. How do we actually get the faith to pray the the prayer of faith? How do you get the faith to pray the prayer of faith? Simple enough of a question, right? Um, well, I found in our life that prayer achieves many things. First, we actually pray to acquire the faith. And then when we're at the point that the faith has really come in us that we can believe 
we really believe. Then we pray in faith that God acts. You want to pray for a wayward child, a soul that is, you know, stuck in the mire of sin? First, you have to come to the point of really believing that God can rescue them from that situation. Oh, I don't mean that God theoretically can rescue them. I mean that he can really rescue them. He can meet them right there. You know, somebody who has no other influence, they don't have a Bible, they're not around other people of faith, that even God in that situation can speak into the life of that person and bring them back to the valley, so to speak. We have to first really develop our own personal faith that we believe that that can happen, and then we begin to pray that God works so that it happens. To move from real burden to solid faith often requires the path of soul agony. We are too committed to cop out with fatalism, unconcern, or shifting the responsibility over to the lost for their condition. It may require a wrestling in prayer until we obtain the desired blessing. When the Bible talks about groanings that are brought before the Father, you know, I've been in that place before, and undoubtedly many of you have also. My soul is so troubled by something that I can't even get out words. And yet, I also would be tempted sometimes to in, in, that, in, that, in that state almost of somewhat unbelief when I'm so troubled about something to leave prayer then. But I'm, I'm reminded that, that sometimes you know, we need to stay there in prayer when we're groaning until we prevail. And what prevailing means in that case is not that the situation be fixed. Prevailing in that case is that my soul isn't groaning anymore. I've come to the place of acceptance or I've come to the place of peace or I've come to the place uh, where, you know, the pain and the frustration and the things that are going on on the inside of me are, are, are not there anymore. And then we move from a place that would be of a burden to a place that is something of faith, but it's a difficult road sometimes to be able to get there. Praying until we prevail. You know, sometimes we don't use this phrase anymore, um, but in, in times past, they used the phrase of the spirit of travail in prayer. Now, you know what travail is, right? Travail in our language is only one thing. Travail is a woman in childbirth. That's what travail means. And there are times, I think, in our life where we have to pray that way. And one of the ways that I've really learned, because God has brought me to this place, is that he frequently brings me to a place of desperation. Where could I go but to the Lord? In situations in life that I can't control, that are, that are spinning out of control around me, there's no place that I can go but to the ministry of prayer. There's an example that I, I want to uh, read to you here. Sometimes I wonder, do we use the right tool? You know, a real craftsman, when he's going about his work, one of the things that makes him a craftsman is he picks out the right tool for the job. And I'm wondering if we often enough realize that prayer is the tool for the job, but we're inclined to use a different tool. So here's an anecdotal um, thing from... Daniel Nash. So this took place in Governor, New York. This is uh, by the Thousand Islands. Okay, and they were under uh, organizing uh, a revival meeting there, and there were young men that were standing in opposition to that meeting. 
And here we say, on one such occasion, where some young men seem to stand like a bulwark in the way of the progress of the work, in this state of things, wrote Finney, Brother Nash and myself, after consultation, made up our minds that that thing must be overcome by prayer and that it could not be reached in any other way. We therefore retired to a grove and gave ourselves to prayer until we prevailed. This is what prevailing meant. And we felt confident that no power which earth or hell could interpose would be allowed permanently to stop the revival. Prayer to bring us to faith. Just one um, quick story before we end. The way that they used to go about trying to preach the word was that when they intend to go to a certain place, Nash would go there two weeks ahead of time. And he would find a room that he could rent. And sometimes it might have been a dark cellar. Sometimes it might have been a place that was a little bit more comfortable. But there would be a ministry of prayer virtually 24-7 for two weeks before the preaching would start. Notice the ratio, too, that there was one that preached and two that prayed. One that preached, two that prayed. And there are you know, many, many um, testimonies that have been given that the real battle that was won was not in the power of the preaching. The real battle was in the power of the prayer that was brought to the preaching. That's why I call this a ministry. You know, because for somebody to dedicate them to something like that, that before there is a spiritual work that would be undertaken, that they're going to commit themselves to focused prayer. You know, upon occasion, I was reading one thing that they would rent a room, like from, you know, some woman at a boarding house that would have a room, and she would start to get worried that these men would be in there for two, three days, and they would never come out to eat. They would, you know, and she would ask somebody else then, did something happen there? And they said, no, it's all right. Just, just, just let them be their prayer. Prayer can also sometimes be a lonely place. A lonely place. And you know, um, just to encourage you upon your way in closing, I think that's the last slide it is, um, one of the things that I found is that when, when dire situations come to my knowledge and I begin to pray about that situation in earnest, one would think that right away the situation begins to improve. Guess what? It doesn't. There are many times that when I really begin to pray, the situation gets worse. It gets worse. And you think, well, why? If we're calling on God and he's promised that he should answer, when we begin to pray, why would it get worse? You know what? It gets worse because of me, not because of them. When... Am I going to live by a sight? When I see things get worse, do I begin to get despaired as if God is going to forsake me? Or do I really believe, even though I see the situation getting worse, that he has said, call, and I will answer. Call, and I will answer. And do I believe it, even when the facts of the situation go a different direction? So don't get disappointed if you are going to commit yourself to begin to pray about something and you don't see fruit right away, you might not even see fruit for a long time. We read the book several years ago of, of uh, George Miller, not the George Miller from Mansfield, the George Miller from England with the orphanages. And he was a man of prayer that on one particular topic, I know Brother, Brother Dan or Brother Urs knows the number here, but I think... I think that it was something like he prayed for something every day for 11 years, nine months, and I don't know how many days. And that prayer was answered. As I ask myself, what kind of faith do I have in God that I would pray about the same thing every day? 
for that period of time until I prevailed, believing that God would ultimately answer that. You know, that speaks not only about the faithfulness of God, but of the faith of that person that knows that God will answer. Um, I, I hope and pray that this uh, would be of, of uh, benefit for you and uh, you would have found it edifying and encouraging upon your way and uh, want to ask uh, maybe if we could just bow our heads yet. Father, we're so blessed that we were sent here for this week and we can be undisturbed from the normal affairs of life that we can focus on the things that you deem as being eternal. And thank you, Father, for being so patient with us and so loving with us. Thank you, Lord, for guiding each of us upon our personal journey with thee and pray that we would inspire, be inspired with a, with a simple, humble, simple, humble attitude of learning, Lord, that we really want to journey with thee in our life and we want to bear lives, have lives that would be bearing a fruit. And we want really to be able to meet thee in our lives, Lord, and for our faith to be real. And oh, that it would be of us that when we would go, somebody would write on our tombstone, might he in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.